Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon community. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Korva. And I'm Kikita Kaori. We have a fiction. We have fiction. Collapse by Robert Denton III. So we're going to get to that in a second, but first, news. Just a little bit. Um... For people who are interested in the development and early history of AEG, there was an interview with John Zinzer and Todd Rowland at Alderac um, about how Alderac was started and also about how the Legend of the Five Rings um, game started, card game started, but also because the two are very much linked, how it started as a role-playing game, and things like the first big Gen Con and Day of Thunder and all those all those stories. There is a YouTube video with that information out there, and we will have a link for that in our show notes. We also have a game jam going on at the moment, which is a one-page adventure. So wanting people to put together their one-page adventures and submit them to courtgamespod.com. So get your writing hats on. It's been extended a little bit to give more time. And we have some pretty cool guest judges and prizes that are being developed for this. So keep an eye out for announcements, and and we'll try and share that too. It's the first one of these kind of things we've done, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it develops. But we have a new fiction today, so we've broken off our uh, environment series that we're doing to take time to talk about fiction. And the fiction we're doing is called Collapse by Robert Denton III. Uh, in this fiction, uh, Hida Oushi, the daughter of the Crab Clan champion Hida Kasada, travels to the Ninth Watchtower, also called the Watchtower of Sun Shadows, to reinforce Hida Etsuji until he can be replaced for his impetuousness. She goes with a small group of crab troops, including her best friend. When she arrives, she finds the Ninth Watchtower burning and on the brink of collapse. The curtain wall has fallen. She and her crew enter through a passage to find the remains of the mantis and crab's forces fighting to hold the keep. Etsuji has gone out to attack the Shadowlands army, and Oushi, realizing the keep has fallen, orders the retreat and climbs the watchtower to signal the retreat. At the top, she sees a vast army of oni, goblins, and undead, and leading them, the oni lord Akuma. And with them, they carry the mauled body of Hida Etsuji. There is no one left to save, so she retreats on the Mantis ship with the remainders of the Mantis and Crab to let Kasada know that the wall has fallen. This follows The Shadow of Glory by Annie Vandermeer Mitsuda, which was the, the previous thing on, on the uh, rather unfortunate Ninth Watchtower. It's not been having a good a good fiction. No, not a good time. Because when we say it was on the, the verge of collapse, we don't mean like a military sense. No, it was literally going to fall down soon according to the guy who engineer. So we have a bunch of null nuggets coming from this. On the way there, the group find remains of goblins wearing lion armor, and you've got to assume that old armor does kind of tend to end up in the hands of the Shadowlands if it doesn't get retrieved. So at some point, some lion troops got themselves killed in the Shadowlands, and now these goblins are wearing this armor. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you do wonder when that might have happened, but... Yeah, it kind of happened over the years. I mean, this army overall is probably clad a lot in lion and crab. Unicorn. Unicorn. Yeah. They have a, a symbol that's etched on the armor of what he describes as a trisected diamond. So I am waiting and scanning card art with eager eyes to see what a trisected diamond looks like. But this is the symbol of this Shadowlands army for sure. It does make a certain amount of sense once you work out who is in charge of this particular group. Yes, it does. Like the proportions of the diamond and exactly how it's split into three and all that sort of stuff is, is still up in the air at the moment. I was researching all kinds of camons to see if I could find anything that looked like this. But camon are the um, traditional Japanese mons for banners and stuff. And, and these simple geometric shapes are camon, probably the majority of them. So that would be a, a normal kind of symbol used. But the Shadowlands... As it's described in the story, they said, never in known history was were they successfully organized. Yeah. Uh, though several people, beings, whatever, have tried. Uh, Oshi says their very nature is chaos. Mm. So part of the power that Fu Lang has over the Shadowlands is that as a kami, he can do to them the same thing that the other... Kami did to humans. He can. He can. He is a force of intelligence and organization yeah. for them. Even the more way back in the day, it wasn't really organizing so much as just it was just a big mass of Shadowlands creatures. But here we're looking at things that seem to have units and formations and symbols and things like that. And that's very much not what the Shadowlands do. Now, when you're talking about Oni Lords, which we'll talk about a little later on, but we did mention it, they are tied to the intelligence of a human being, and therefore they can organize in a way that goes beyond the nature of the Shadowlands. But this is a pretty significant amount of organization, even yeah. for a, an Oni Lord. So this is, this is a big deal. Just even just having the the symbol on the arm mm -hmm. is a big deal. We have mention of the party of crab heading towards the sun tower. Um, sorry, I'll start that again. <laughs> we have mention of the party heading towards the ninth watchtower, traveling with empty armor on mounts in order to increase the appearance of how many people there are, and thus hopefully <laughs> avoid getting attacked by Shadowlands creatures, which is an interesting detail that I don't think we've seen before as a, as a general policy. Yeah, another nice little detail in this story, it, it, the story mentions uh, how Kaio Fuseo uh, is missing a hand, but it's like, blink and you'll miss it. Mm. And I really liked you know, that it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> it was yeah. just like there and, and, and gone that he was he was he was missing a hand it was hardly noticeable but you know if you think about the kinds of injuries you sustain as a Caillou engineer that is pretty likely when you're dealing with a lot of uh, heavy machinery and few safety regulations yeah the group have a fun conversation about sumo because they're basically discussing who they reckon is going to win the next big kind of league and having their their kind of opinions that they're putting forwards. So there's a crab-only sumo league, 
which is the West and East, referring to the West and East Crablands. Right. So there's the uh, West Champion and an mm. East Champion and West and East Crablands. We have the uh, suffix for sumo wrestlers being zeki. So uh, Ozeki is the second highest ranked sumo. You get the highest rank being Yokozuna and so on. There are low-ranking sumo who are referred to as below the curtain, makushita, and they are the highest rank of the the deshi who are the apprentices. Generally, apprentices aren't paid; they're training to advance. Presumably, I think they they do a lot of the grunt work around the sumo stable, mm-hmm. and above that, you get the sekitori and. Those are paid sumo wrestlers. One is mentioned, someone who's put forward as a potential victor is Banzo, who's a first or second year wrestler. So he's 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 a he's a makushita or mm. below the curtain. Yeah, uh, he's an apprentice wrestler that Oushi has her money on, or at least thinks will win. Hida Atsuji was previously the commander of the Watchtower of the Iron Hammer. We've got. Here, described in this story, Watchtower of the Iron Hammer, this one fallen is the Watchtower of Sunshadow. Some of the other ones we've heard mentioned is the Watchtower of the West and the East, Watchtower of Grim Resolve, the Watchtower of the Crashing Wave, Watchtower of the Emerald Dawn, and so on. So there's there's a series of these watchtowers, um, about 13 of them, mm. 12 or 13, that, that run along the length of the wall, and they've got these names. So, um, Etsuji had a reputation that he never lit a signal fire. He, everything that comes, I can handle myself, yeah. which I would think is like a gigantic warning sign that he Kasada should re- replace him immediately. But absolutely, that is very, very foolish. I mean, there has been some indications that the Shadowlands have been kind of quiet for the last few decades until right now. So I can kind of maybe see that people weren't as vigilant about that as they might have been, but this has obviously t- clearly turned out to be a super bad idea right now. Well, the, the Shadowlands have been really bad at least for a couple years uh, per uh, the very first of the Crab story. So this is just Hidatsuji's arrogance and, yeah, you, you, this is not the way the crab are supposed to work. So even though Etsuji was Hidekasada's cousin, he really has a, a fatal flaw here. I, I do wonder whether the fact that uh, he was Kisada's cousin didn't factor into several things, possibly including his recklessness because he needs to prove himself, but also that's maybe why he wasn't perhaps treated as strictly as he should have been and, and let get away with this, but uh, yeah, it didn't help. We get references to something that happened in Oushi's past, but it's not specified. She is guilty about having to leave people behind to die. And she's very, she very much doesn't want to do that this time. And so she's carrying a lot of uh, grief and sorrow about this, but what it was precisely, we don't know. Right. We've had no hints about that in old or new lore, so just something to note. I've got to say that, like, with the Shadowlands and the Crab, that kind of thing is probably going to happen. So when they get there, uh, the Kaio engineer observes that they have knocked down the curtain wall. The curtain wall is the wall pieces. 
between the watchtowers, the the big <laughs> wall pieces. They've made a hole in it. And they also, he says that they have knocked down the walls of the Masugata. Now, a Masugata is the rectangular outer courtyard of a castle between two gates. Uh, it's named for Masu, which is a square wooden sake cup, which is kind of the shape of the, the Masugata. So they've they basically they've knocked down the gate, they've knocked down the walls to this courtyard as as well, and inside this castle, the peop the crab and the mantis within are trying to fight to push them out of the this this inner courtyard. Yeah. And not doing a fantastic job of it right now. Uh, we also learned that Sukuni spoke to her in the depths of Shunaman Mori about the crab being the wall, but if they are unyielding, they will crumble. Uh, this is from the crab novella Trail of Shadows by D.T. Laderoot. And that's a, a theme that comes up here. Yep. So this whole idea that the crab have grown inflexible in their approach to fighting the Shadowlands, mm -hmm. and that is hampering and endangering their approach and making it impossible for them to deal with the current circumstances is carried over now with multiple stories by multiple authors. So mm -hmm. that's worth thinking about and keeping in mind when you're reading about what the actions the crab then choose to do as a whole as this situation continues. Are they going to change, adapt? Are they going to over-adapt? Are they going to stay rigid? Yeah. But right now, Oushi and Sukune are all thinking the old ways we're doing things are not are not working. Yeah. Uh, I haven't heard that much, though, about coming up with new ways. So it's all very well to say, if we are inflexible, we'll fail. But you have to come up with, you know, what is your alternative? And very often, you don't have that. So that's it's less useful in those circumstances. Right. We'll have to find out. Mm. We'll have to find out what it is. Yeah. Let's see. Um, in the story, Aushi thinks that heavy armor was reserved for fighting against samurai because the Oni don't care. They can't. They'll burn you or crush you no matter what kind of armor you're mm. wearing. And in the Shadowlands, mobility and vision is more helpful. And I'd say that was absolutely true while traveling deep in the Shadowlands. Um, you, you want to be able to move fast. But on the wall, you're kind of fighting against these hordes of undead or goblins with arrows. Yeah. And in those cases, the armor is helpful. And also there's the whole heat of schooling has always been since very first edition, and it's true in fifth, about the uh, using and working with and otherwise living in really heavy suits of armor yeah. without penalties. So I thought it was weird for her to say that it makes sense kind of if you're out on patrol, but I think it would be different if you're actually manning the wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, you're the actual Oni are going to squish you, but you're not fighting Oni most of the time. Most of the time, it's smaller things like goblins and, and undead and things like that. So I would have thought the armor would be really quite helpful. I mean, it depends whether Oushi is more of a Hida or more of a Haruma in terms of her training. <laughs> I think her hammer says Hida. 
It does. It does. Now we have See, our uh, Caillou inventor is when when they go through a tunnel to get through to the courtyard and and help the defenders. There's a door at the end of it, and essentially the uh, Caillou inventor is using something that looks very much like a carjack or something like that to open the door. There are a lot of stoneworking tools and things like that that operate in all sorts of interesting ways. So there are all sorts of things that will are used to pry things apart very rapidly. And so it's nice to see something like that being used here. Yeah, this one looks at, you know, from the description, it looked like the jaws of life with these paddles and this crank and lever that you you ratchet it to, to mm. open up the the space in between to open up this door that's stuck shut. Yeah. So I, I kind of enjoyed that Caillou invention, especially, you know, you know, especially uh, just just seeing it used and he had it in his backpack. It was mm. great. <laughs> There's a conflict of rank here. Yeah. So uh Basically, Oushi jumps into battle. She manages to close off the entrance to, through which the um, monsters are streaming into the courtyard. And she is trying to persuade Etsuji's men to leave and follow her rather than stay in the position, hold the keep, and die. Mm. And this conflict, you know, you have to evacuate and run or you have to stay and fight, even if it'll cost your lives, is a great intrigue scenario in a battlefield for RPG. So I could just see this like, okay, here we are, mass battle. Here's an intrigue right in the middle of it, which she ends part of it uh, by rather than arguing with the guy who's taken the other side of her and is trying to convince everyone to say, she punches him, knocks him out, and then continues the intrigue. Which you can do in New 5R, and yep. that amused me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also get some stuff from the Shadowlands, like throwing boulders with skeletons stuck to the rocks, which is honestly just cheating. Um, <laughs> it's pretty grim, I have to say. It's like, oh. That's that was good. Yeah, it's one way of, one way of parachuting troops Imagination. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh one of the mantis says he wants to be neck deep in a shochu bottle. So we've talked about shochu a little bit before. It's an alcoholic drink. Uh, it's made with rice or sweet potato or barley or chestnut or anything else that they could make some alcohol out of. It's usually about 25% alcohol. So it's yeah. more than sake or wine, but it's going to be less than whiskey. There was a mention of using conch shells as signaling horns. Oyushi plans to use it. She wants to go up to the, the top of the tower and signal Etsuji's men to come back because she is unaware at this point that Etsuji does not have any men anymore because they've all mm -hmm. been eaten. Um, but this was her last ditch attempt to kind of get the people who had gone out into the fray to kind of bring them battle to the Shadowlands and bring them back in. But yes, yeah, she was taking a conch shell, possibly fitted with a mouthpiece, and that's the signaling horn used. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it had a, a silver mouthpiece on it. Mm. So let's see. So, Oushi. Well, yeah, they talk about Oushi's nickname, how, how that is a nickname for her. And yeah. it always has been. Um, Oushi means great cow for her strength. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she she's got another nickname that she doesn't like as much, which is Little Bear. Sada is always yeah. called Great Bear, so she's the Little Bear. Um, she, she doesn't like Little Bear. She doesn't mind a Ushi, and everyone calls her that. Yeah. Um, her real ma- name is Yuritoko, named for her her grandmother. So yeah. Um, just picking up nicknames. <laughs> she she may not like Little Bear simply because it might feel a little disrespectful to her father, but. Or the other possibility, she doesn't want to be compared to her father specifically. So who knows? But uh, it's nice to see that, yeah, she's not just called Oushi. It's a nickname, which I think is perfectly cool. Uh, we get mention of a, a, a doshi, which is a dojo partner, someone you train with as part of the dojo. It's a nice uh, little thing there. Yeah. So when she gets to the top of the tower, she looks out and she sees this huge army with ranks upon ranks of goblins and undead and onis and just a terrifying force as far as the eye can see. And in this force, she sees Hida Etsuji's body and his body has been strung up. They describe it very graphically. Um, And it has been painted or is upon which is mounted his own personal banner, which has then been repainted with the trisected diamond to create a war war banner. Now, in old lore, there was a card and a moment (laughs) in the storyline about the terrible standard of Fulang. And the terrible standard of Fulang was the symbol, the war banner of the Shadowlands forces in the old storyline. And it carried the body of, in that story, Hida Sukune, who had been sacrificed. And when it was raised, it strengthened the Shadowlands armies presented to it. So this idea of a of a standard, of a of a war banner created with the body of a crab hero. Um, it's kind of the same same idea, but transformed in new five R. So we've talked before about how it seems like new five R is hitting on some of these tropes, transforming them, bringing in some of the symbology um, in different ways. So so we kind of recognize it, but understand it's somewhat different too. So that's what they do here, mm-hmm. and it stands as a a symbol of Shadowlands depravity. So it was it was interesting to see it here, and it makes me wonder what what may happen in the future and what yeah. other things go along with it. I mean, it's possible that the terrible standard Fulang is a known thing that you can make, and the one that ends up on the card in Old Five R was the biggest and best because it was literally made from the son of Hida Kasada, and thus represented in many ways a great portrayal of the crab. Whereas this might be a lesser version because this is just someone that they found and, and put together on the battlefield. Or this could be the story beat. It could be just that this is going to be how they're going to do that in the storyline. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, we have mentions of Iuchi Foods and Asahina Sake, which is a, a, a nice uh, a nice touch that, that you know, the crab aren't completely isolated. Uh, yeah. This is this is in reference to you know someone having plans, things they wanted to try. So foods in the Uchi lands they wanted to try, and Ashihinisakes they wanted to drink. So uh, mm-hmm. the crab are indeed part of Rock again. It turns out 
which I thought was a nice touch. It just sometimes it seems so isolated that uh, it. Yeah. You can't imagine them leaving the wall. That they just always are there and they never go anywhere else. Well, they can get it delivered. <laughs> there's, Door dash. There's, there's trade. There's trade. <laughs> um, I have to say kudos to Mr. Denton. Uh, he earned it with a amazing entrance for the Oni Lord, Akuma no Oni. Um, yeah. That that his his walking in with his three eyes and three tongues, huge as a mountain, spikes as big as trees. This is this is a very very impressive entrance for yeah. for a big oni, and and I was very uh, very impressed with it. Mm. So what is an so what is an oni lord? An oni lord is an oni that has been grown to great power because it has received the name of, the identity of, a very powerful human. So the Oni Lord Akuma no Oni was summoned by Asawa Akuma in the third century uh, when he was trying to study the power of names, which is kind of the magic that the Nizumi actually do. Uh, he ended up deciding he couldn't figure it out in the empire, uh, ended up deciding he could only learn about it from the Shadowlands. And he ended sending, he, he summoned a very small but clever Oni to thinking he could control it because it was small. Mm. And that Oni tricked him into giving him his name. And this ended up creating from that small Oni this enormous uh, Oni Lord and, uh, you know, drove Asuma Akuma, Akuma mad. Yeah. We have, so once there is an Oni Lord, they can, very powerful ones can create spawn, Oni Lord spawn or Oni spawn, which are smaller versions of themselves. And if those smaller versions of themselves die, it's not, they're kind of like the eyes and ears of the meek Oni. But if they die, the main Oni Lord isn't hurt. Yeah. So... Kuni, Yori, and Asawa Tadaka fought an Akuma spawn earlier in the storyline in the Beneath the Light of Jade fiction. And if you'll recall, Asawa Tadaka, part of his thoughts and also part of the fears that his old sensei had for him is that Tadaka is descended from Asawa Akuma. And this thought pattern of, I need to investigate something so bad that I will go out into the Shadowlands and I will study it there, is mm. on the minds of every phoenix looking at what Asawa Tadaka is doing yeah. and uh, their concerns and fears for him. That's why his master fought so hard to stop him from doing that. And he ended up actually defeating his master and making his master Ronin yep. uh, in order to get to do this. So he's on a not good trajectory. <laughs> no. He's run into the spawn. And now we know the very real one is right here of his ancestor's uh, greatest mistake. Yep. And, and he's partnered up with Kuniyori, who is also hasn't got the best history of learning from the Shadowlands and it all going well. So, yeah. 
<laughs> so things are not looking good for the crab right now. What with Akamano Oni? Mm. No. So um, I don't know. I enjoyed the story a lot. I thought it was very well written. Yeah. Um, there was a little confusion in it. Uh, in the story, the sea and the sun shadow where Yasuki Yoguri and Kudaka first arrive at the Watchtower of the Sun Shadow, they have rowed up in the Poison Tide, which is Kudaka's boat. And then Kudaka sends her two apprentices back mm -hmm. to the Hida with the boat because she, basically she was afraid they would fall to the influence of the Kansen there. Yeah. So she sends them away. But they took the Poison Tide with them. Now, when uh, Oishi shows up, the Poison Tide is there at the dock. So somehow yeah. the Poison Tide had to have sailed back, maybe to get Kudaka, but Kudaka has already left to go tell um, Kasada what is what is going on because uh, when Atsuji showed up, he was a dork. <laughs> So what does this all bode for Rokugan? Does this mean <laughs> is not going to end up as a banner? That would be... Mm. Is this the big bad or is this just the harbinger of, of Fulang? I can't think of a yeah. bigger bad between this and Fulang. It's just... He's a, he's a, he's a pretty big bad. Um, we were having some discussions on the Discord. Uh, how big is he exactly? And I basically said it's big enough to make o Ushi say... Run away, run away now. That That's pretty big, honestly. That's pretty big, yeah. I think it was just really impressive. Combined with what's going on at uh, the Castle of Learning uh, with the Yogo, mm. I think Shoju, Shoju has found a parade of Shadowlands and decided to put himself in front of it to get everybody to unify against it. Yeah. I think he didn't have to do that. Um, <laughs> I think the Shadowlands is doing it all on its own, and now he's in front of a large, much, much larger parade than he realized. Well, I think his thinking was get everyone north of the wall united against him instead of having the crab fall and then everyone get organized. We'll see how well that goes. Yeah, we don't know yet. No. We do know because Tyler popped up on Discord, that Shoju does not know that Akuma no Oni is coming. So basically, this happens after Kasada sends word to Shoju that something terrible is coming on the wall. We, we have that much. It's hard to pin these crab stories down to a specific moment in time because they are so far away from Oda Sanuchi, which is a big center of action. And they don't care about what's happening in Oda Sanuchi too much. So it's not like they are casually gossiping about it. And in, and vice versa. And and also, just just travel times, when you think of how long it will take a message to get to and from, this could be happening the day that Shoju does his second Scorpion Clan coup. But it would take days, if not weeks, for the information to get there. Right now, and this is my very gross guess, is that this is happening right about the time that Shoju is being stripped of the throne. Mm. Uh, second or third week of November. 
Yeah. So, you know, this is this is when Tatori is going, Ronan and Sumiko breaks her sword. This is happening around that time. It could be a little later. It can't really be earlier, but it could be a little later than that. Hopefully we'll get some more stories that kind of put this in more of context so we, we know when. But we do know that Shoju does not know Oninokuma is coming when he makes his decisions. Yeah, yeah. Scary stuff. Anyway, so if you have any ideas on what Rokugan could even begin to do to fight an Oni the size of a mountain with vast hordes of well-organized, disciplined troops and oni and undeads and stuff be sure to let us know and we'll be sure to put it into a memo and send it to Odasan uchi for whoever might read it <laughs> yeah they need all the help they can get yeah so anyway send us your ideas it's always good to find out but that's all we have for this story I did have a couple of call outs that I wanted to make to some other podcasts or other things going on Charlie, who is a player on Crimson Gold Agonies, has a website called Ramblings of Displaced Nerd. And her website is about representation and accessibility in L5R. And she has a good article up there about Hida Sukune and Trail of Shadows. And her articles have a lot of thought and work put into them. She's got some good thoughts about how 2020 has gone in terms of its fictions with regards to accessibility and representation for disability. And it's it's worth checking out. It's worth reading her, her thoughts and figuring out what you think about it. So I wanted to give a shout out to that. And I also wanted to give a shout out to Doji Joseph, who did what he called a Tokibana contest. This is not really something to do with the RPG very much, but I thought that it was something that RPG players would appreciate, which is uh, a contest where people show off all their beautiful cards and dice and tokens and layout for the card game. And it would be kind of like showing off your cool gaming setup with your pretty dice and that sort of thing. So, so. Even if you are not interested in the card game, if you wanted to see some pretty tokens and so on, you can poke your nose in and look at the beautiful setups at the end of that uh, Tokibana contest. It was it was very lovely, and uh, congratulations to Joseph for running that for us. And we've got our usual shout-outs to our sister podcasts and patrons and all that. So we're going to start with our Core Games Network. So we have the L5R LCG podcast. We have our Live from Tokyo podcast called Tokyo of the Five Rings. And our two actual play role-playing podcasts, Crimson Gold Agonies and Fortunes and Strife. And you can get even more role-playing content from our friends at D20 Radio. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs, as well as our website. And we've done a really, really nice website revamp that you can check out. Uh, you can see and store longer-term information on that website. Uh, a lot of people have brought things over from the uh, L5R forums on Fantasy Fight Games. Also, there's summaries of some of our podcasts, our show notes, of course. Uh, there's great RPG tools, 
and more. In addition for our patrons, we continue to have, you know, adventure seeds, early access to AP podcasts, and other things as we think of them. If you have ideas for bonus content, we'd be happy to try and do what we can to to make good stuff for you. Yep, we'd have to be happy to hear it. You can find us online at courtgamespod.com. At Twitter, we are twitter.com slash courtgamespod. And we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that's it for us this week. This is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. I've been Korval, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy.